Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. In your eyes, the light, the heat, your, your eyes. eyes, I am complete, your, your eyes. eyes, see the doorway, your, your eyes. eyes, of a thousand churches, my oh eyes. my god, Peter Gabriel, you know what, he's got a little bit Shoved up his own ass. Yeah. I love oh, the song. Uh, no, yeah. but come on. It's, it's a song. great song. It's a great time. I thought you were going to go a little <laughs> bit deeper dive and do like the... Um, Jolies. The, yeah. Jolies. Jolies. When, when he, he cries. cries. <laughs> so good. So <laughs> good. That'll, That'll never, never be me. That'll never, never be me. That'll <laughs> never be me. No, no, no. <laughs> I love her. Yeah, um, yes, I love I, her. I, I wanted, I wish I could have those friends when I was in high school. They're so supportive and warm and amazing. I feel like, yeah. I, I hate to say my, suck my own cock here. But I think that I was that friend. Um, uh-huh. And I was the one Which always one? in love. I was always in love with the best friend, but always like, go get her, man. Yeah. You're the good one, dude. Go fucking get were her, bro. You, were you, uh, oh, what's her name? Were you the one who plays the guitar or the other girl? The other one. Yeah. No, 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 definitely the other one. I wasn't the sexy one. I was the one <laughs> no one wanted. To, Lily Taylor, I couldn't remember her name. Lily Taylor's sexy. Lily, Come oh on. no, Lily Taylor's sexy as fuck. That's why I'm the other one. Today's episode, <laughs> we're covering Say Anything. I think the other one's sexy as well. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and this movie, I will say, I feel like maybe maybe it was because it was too real for this guy. And actually, no, it was too unreal for this guy. I don't think I really connected with this movie on a deep level until we prepared for this episode. Really? Yeah, because... I don't think I could handle it. I think that's the relationship I probably had always wanted and of never course. had in high school. I was so loveless during that time that I was yeah. like, that I think maybe I tried to watch it. I was just like, I don't literally get this because I've not been in a relationship yet and I literally have no context for what this is. But I did feel like Lloyd in my pining and my <laughs> yearning. Yeah, I feel like that was a, there was a level of pining that could have been maybe close to yours, Holden. And I will say that Holden did pick me up for this episode in the car with the song blasting. This is true. And um, Um, my panties didn't fall off. So at least that's pretty (laughs) great. That's a little bit of mixed messaging from from Holden. Yeah, well, you know, I was there. I mean, I was in the process of trying to get the powdery mildew off of my zucchini leaves, but we don't need to talk about that right now. We're here to talk about Say Anything, and I am, I was a diehard completely over the moon in love with Lloyd Dobler. Of and of course I watched this movie way too many times because I was in love with Lloyd Dobler. And the first thing I said when Holden drove up with In Your Eyes playing was, Ioni Sky, run! 
fun because now as an adult watching this movie, all I can think of is don't. You have such a bright future. <laughs> Leave him. Go find someone else. I, I'm with you. And actually, though, I'm going to say I made a full revolution on this. Really? With this rewatching. So, as a yeah, as a teenager, this was the most romantic thing I'd ever of seen. Course. They're fucking star-crossed lovers, but they don't oh. die. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and so I had a shirt that's I found at the thrift store that was a say anything, and on the back it said, "I gave her my heart. She gave she me gave a me pen. a pen." And uh, <laughs> and then as I got older, I was like, "Oh, this is not a, this is not healthy. She doesn't need this dude like no. weighing her down." But as I rewatched it. I'm kind of on the other side of the fence again. He where I'm is like, good for her. I'm like, okay, maybe they won't stay together forever, but she needs him yeah. right now, and he wants to get out. But also, maybe he'll grow, they'll grow up together, and he'll become a house husband, and yeah. she'll make all the money. Yeah. That's also, and that is complete, like, there's nothing wrong with that. In, in fact, she could make the money to help support him and his dreams, which is also completely cool. But it is kind of funny, though, to look at it now of, like, but you're 17, oh, yeah. 18 years old? You guys. But if your dad is in prison, oh, yeah. maybe prison. Your you dad need ends up in prison. But also, a either, kickboxer. either way it works out, right? Because either way, Lloyd leaves his hometown, goes, sees the world in yeah. this like, amazing way. Even if their relationship doesn't work out, I yeah. still think this ends up being a great move for both of them. Right. Like, she asserts what she wants in this life, and which get is the hell out of there. with yeah. her in, in England. He also just spreads out a bit. They'll probably will break up in London. Right, sure. but yeah. that's all good because like he's gonna expand. He's gonna learn kickboxing and what out a there or whatever. First relationship, much better than my first yeah, fucking yeah. relationship. At least it is not toxic. It, I mean, they are. He does support her and wants her to follow her dreams. Yeah, you know, well, it's like, it is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she's not a real sex doll, so yeah, but that, it's a lot yeah. better than my first relationship. <laughs> I think on the uh, yeah on the um on the side of you, Jackie. Though I think that uh the you know potential bad side of all of that be is because they're so young he could also just never mature and then when she breaks up with him he stalks her and like stares, stares outside her window right, and stuff and right. she's and like we, which he definitely did do. Yeah. yeah no he did but, that. but he's that's in love. okay he is in love and I will say this is another one of those movies that I've seen a hundred thousand times that my partner had never seen so in watching it afterwards he was like that was a really Great, yeah. Movie. Well, I mean, that, I had that no idea. That ending, by the way, I feel like that. I the it's so oh, iconic. It. It's so oh, iconic with the, with the boombox, but but like honestly, them looking up at the oh light was a more impactful Wonderful. moment in the movie to me. Completely. It actually so gave beautiful. me it gave me chills. Me too. Yes, yes. I knew it was going to happen, but I was still like, oh uh, man, I love the way they ended this. Because movie. so good. Do you remember when your whole fucking world was in front of you? Your whole yeah. life was in front of you, and like, who knows what's going to happen next? And, you're and you make to, the job. Yeah, you're about to fly for the first time across the country. I mean, I've been there before, not with the love of my fucking stupid ass life, because I didn't kiss a girl <laughs> till I was nineteen. <laughs> but besides that, yeah, dude. But also, you know what, back in the day, uh, but it still is true to this day, the fact that he calls her up on the phone and asks her out. Yeah. And it, and that is such a- And you talks remember, to her dad and, and is respectful. To, like, oh that's God, the thing that's nice so about respectful. this movie. It, it goes outside of the trope of like, he's just like a bad boy and like doesn't get, the, no, he's like so polite to the dad. He wants to like tell her, him, how much he cares about and her. And respects her mm -hmm. and, and will, and, and, and out the gate, which is why I always wanted a Lloyd Doppler. Yeah. How do you 
not want that guy, especially the dude that has all the female friends. Yes. Right. And it, it like, and I know that that is an old trope, but it, it's that kind of true. That I mean, part with the bros too is so I funny. I love so that funny. So funny. And, and also too, to see him as the fragile one when they finally do have sex and he's the one shaking and he's the one, you like how rare, especially back then, yeah. was a moment like that in a movie where he wasn't just like the, get that mess it, you know what I mean? Well, and yeah. also what's really cool is reading um, Ione Skye's interviews about this as well. And she was... 16 at yeah. the time yeah. and had never been in a situation like that so she was so nervous and she just talked about how like Cameron Crowe and John Cusack together made her so comfortable in the situation and they went out of their way to make sure that she was comfortable in all of it and I mean of course now looking back I think that you can't do that anymore nah, because I believe that John not. Cusack was like 21 or 22 at the sure. time. But I appreciate the fact that they made it a situation where they didn't want her to feel like, and, yeah, and, and they would have stopped anything if she wasn't comfortable with she it. She doesn't say now as an adult, like, oh, that was horrible no. and wrong. Like, she, she also was like, that. what a beautiful way to start, like, like to like push me out into being famous, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll also say, uh, I my John Cusack growing up, my John Cusack movie was a different movie. It was called Better Off Dead, and oh, I love that Better movie. Off Dead. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say High Fidelity, and I'm nope. like, Holden, also High Fidelity, good movie. <laughs> Do not emulate that man. No, 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 no. No, it's that. No, it's definitely Better Off Dead and uh, and Gross Point Blank, but Better oh, Off Gross Dead. Oh, Gross Point Blank's great. So, so good. Yeah. I I might have to go down like. A total John Cusack and, after this. Movie. I mean, oh, the, yeah. whole, the full Cusack family. You know that there's oh, two sisters. And, and yeah, this is the first time John Cusack and Joan Cusack got to be in a scene oh, in the same movie together. They've been in the same movie together. Yeah, they were in before, Pretty in Pink, right? but they were never in the same scene together. This is the first time they got to act together, and it's so fucking just real. I love, I love Joan Cusack so much. I can't I handle it. Love her. I well, can't that's why I was getting upset. It's so good. When I was doing the research for this, because every time I looked up Cameron Crowe or anything about it, they're like, you must want to know more information about Almost Famous. Or anytime right. I would look yeah. up the movie, say anything, you're like, you must be talking about the band. I'm like, I'm not. Uh, no, I know. What you, I want to, like, this is such a great, what an amazing example of a well-written, well-acted, not just a teen romantic yeah. comedy. It's so much more than that yeah. and that's why I'm so excited that we did this research and the rewatch of it to remind us that like Nah, not all teen rom-coms are just bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, also all the theater kids in college that I didn't like way over exaggerated their love for Almost Famous which made me kind of dislike it for a long time. I do understand that. Which yeah, they they loved Oh, they're a golden god, Jackie. Of course they are. They're all doing drugs for the first time. Yeah, of course everybody's a golden fucking god. Right. Yes, but but uh, I but especially this, which we'll kind of dabble in a little bit as we talk about Cameron Crowe here in just a second. the The story behind Almost Famous, I think, is actually more, more interesting. Well, because it's based on Cameron Crowe's actual life, exactly. Which is how this movie does come together. Sure. Which uh, I, I you can't talk about Almost Famous without bringing up the first movie that he wrote and directed, which is Say Anything. Fa uh, oh, I thought you were going to say Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which yeah. Uh, I also want to do pop history on. Of course. It's yeah. one of the best teen movies of all time. So let's get into it. Cameron Crowe, born in Palm Springs, California, to a real estate agent father and a mother who, quote, was a teacher, activist, and all-around live wire who did skits around the house and would wear a clown suit to school on special occasions. <laughs> 
Uh, he was quite alienated as a kid from others, so I hear you there, Cameron. I was I was also the weird one. <laughs> Fine, I piss my pants every day. What does that matter? We're all the same. Uh, he was alienated from others at school because he skipped kindergarten and two grades in elementary school. So he was sort of that little kid. The whole like so essentially the character that you see in Almost Famous, he was that in fucking middle school because he was always too young playing with the bigger boys in every situation he was in from from so early because he skipped all these grades and stuff. Uh, and he also uh, he was alienated because he was ill a lot of a chi- as a child, suffering from nephritis, which I think is some Egyptian sort of uh, uh, ancient god kind of disease. I don't right? know why cool. I feel like that's something where it's like, isn't that part where like parts of your body get like die I, and fall off? I think you're thinking of nephritis. nephritis. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ne- it necro- does sound eerily similar. Right? Necro and nephro. No, we're thinking of Nephrotiti, the ancient Yes, Egyptian I know god. that I looked this up before. <laughs> Ah, inflamación de los tejidos del riñón. Oh, I'll take two. I don't know why it's in Spanish when I looked at the definition. <laughs> oh, two of those, sir. Uh, to combat this, he got way into writing and music early on. He ended up not just writing for the school newspaper, but also for an underground rag called the San Diego Door. His family ended uh, ended up in San Diego to, uh, for for their lives at this point. This is also around the time, which I love this little fact, that Cameron Crowe did have a band for a short amount of time. Nice. That only learned the song "I Feel Free," and the band was called the Masked Hamster, and that it does sound like the name yes. of a band of a kid that wore a clown suit to yeah. school. Yeah, we were uh, Vranus, uh, which is the genus of name for the monitor lizard. I'm already asleep. My <laughs> oh my god, Holden, you yeah. have had a lizard thing forever. Forever. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, my buddy, I grew up around the lizard. My buddy was a lizard enthusiast. I'd go to his house on feeding day. We'd go to the store. We'd get all the mice. I'd watch him feed. It was so fun. And the crickets, of course, for the little guys. Uh, But come on. I digress, people. Due to his correspondence uh, with music journalist Lester Bangs, uh, who went from the San Diego door, he went from the San Diego door to writing for the national rock magazine Cream. And uh, both of them are getting articles over. Also, Lester Bangs, the Philip Seymour Hoffman character in Again, Almost yes, Famous. Again, yes, in Almost Famous, which is, it is, it's, it is crazy that that was his life. Yes. That if I'm, yes. Seen, he was jealous. It's, it's, it's I'm so jealous of what I'm about to say. After graduating high school at the age of 15, he gets hired to write for Rolling Stone, and he becomes the magazine's youngest ever contributor. At 16, he gets to hit the road with the Allman Brothers Band for three weeks for a story. He's kind of known as the g- kid. He's like the wild card he can throw at bands that don't have a good relationship with Rolling Stone magazine, or that none of the like, other people want to. Are you going to scream at this kid? Right, But also, right. honestly, and as the much- kid got the band better than these older people of who course. were not just understanding They're the new way. They're not with it anymore. And I do, but thinking about it now, I don't think I've thought about this since I was 16, but I'd so much rather do that now than when I was yeah, 16. Because I feel yeah. like I, I'm so much more confident now that I don't know, but then that's part of the essence of him in, yeah. in general is that he right. could get into rooms that us jaded whether olders. or not he should have been allowed it yeah, yeah. Oh. it would be like today it would be like mumble rappers or like you know what I mean fuck yeah man SoundCloud like musicians that were yeah I mean us. Lil Peep was dead in that oh, RV yes. for R.I.P. hours oh. while everyone partied around him uh, dude. But... Witchblades what's up Witchblades alright but either way we're talking Led Zeppelin Neil Young Fleetwood Mac yeah I'm down with the fucking goth boy click alright I'm just saying it right now okay <laughs> I'm just saying it out loud uh 
to, th- these are just a few bands he got to uh, he got to go around with, and of course that's all encapsulated in Almost Famous. But then also he has this other fucking crazy ass life experience that's like so nutto and and amazing that is the basis of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He ends up in the late seventies looking for new avenues in life because it wasn't fun and crazy enough just going on tour. With, I can't like, the wait greatest to do the band. Fast Times episode. Totally, totally, oh, you're gonna totally. get all into this. So yeah, God, I'll just briefly it. say he goes undercover at the age of 22 as a high school student at Claremont High School in San Diego and that culminates uh, uh, or that ends up being and that leads to his book Fast Times at Ridgemont High a true story which was of course what broke him into the film industry as the adaptation of it which he did right so he did yeah he became did a, a sleeper hit for it. in 1982 yeah. but he direct but it was directed by Amy Heckerling oh, yes, it was. We've, talk, we've talked about on previous episodes and so he wrote the book wrote the screenplay for Fast Times but is say anything that he wrote and directed for the first time which again very young to do this still but can you imagine do Doing that, writing for Rolling Stone, going undercover, writing a best-selling book, turning that into a screenplay, all of this before your mid-20s, I was only drunk in a yeah. gutter in my 20s. <laughs> I would perform, and then I would be drunk. Yes. Yeah. Usually at the same time. And people I look up to our life experience. Insane! <laughs> I did ballet sometimes and then was drunk when I was. So one time I did come to dress rehearsal on acid. So. Ooh, you, you make that mistake once. I did the yeah. same thing at uh, at my bakery job. You, you make that mistake once. Uh, yeah. You'll Be- never look at the tiles the same way, though. <laughs> Before we do get to say anything, he also did write a pseudo sequel to Fast Times. I didn't even know about this movie, the movie The Wildlife. Now I got to watch, watch The Wildlife. I got to watch The Wildlife. It does have a pretty good cast, too. Yeah. I'm sure it can't be that great because it. No one talks about it, but uh, as fate would have it, a mutual friend introduces Crow to James L. Brooks. And uh, you've probably seen that name before in the producer credits. And only because of Terms of Endearment, which (laughs) I am going to, oh, I'm going to force y'all to watch Terms of Endearment. Well, for me, it's The Simpsons. Yeah, I guess. I can only ever ever see his name as James L. Brooks. Yeah, yes, James Three Hours in the Halloween episodes. Yeah. Brooks said, We simply liked talking to each other. My life is very chaotic, and then often you have conversations that have to have a purpose, generally a business one. And I immediately felt that this was a great guy to get to know. And Brooks also felt that, quote, writers should have a real voice in the way their projects are made and that they should stay with their projects in one capacity or another, which is what leads us to Crow getting to direct his first film. So, yeah, and then and that's the whole thing. So, James. L. Brooks is the producer. Essentially, he is the the uh, oh, what is it called when you, puppet master? No, I guess puppet master. <laughs> the mentor. He's the mentor of this project. <laughs> the necromancer. Yes, the, yes, necromancer. the necromancer. Yes, he brought it back up <laughs> back from the dead, but it's not the same. Someone <laughs> kill it. I can't be killed. It's oh. the wildlife. Kill it. It's your ex boyfriend, Jackie. Oh, We've risen to God. take your life. All in one. <laughs> No, he's not the necromancer. James L. Brooks is the the mentor of this production. And he originally brought in Cameron Crowe because he was doing research for the movie Broadcast News. Mm. And because of everything that Cameron Crowe had undergone at such a young age, he wanted to get to know him more, especially. And Crowe said about James L. Brooks when he wanted to have a meeting with him, 
I was amazed that this guy who has all these directing awards and a case on the wall was always referring to himself as a writer. He just wanted to talk about the stone years. This is what happened when he got brought in because he didn't know why he wanted to speak with him in the first place. Mm. Because it seems like at this point, Cameron Crowe wasn't in the place to be ready to direct yet. Yeah, yeah. And Brooks uh, was drawn to Crow because he felt that he had, quote, a unique and legitimate understanding of young people. He sees things differently from everyone else, which I think is a great description of, like, what makes Say Anything so special. Yes. Uh, So the idea for the film actually started from an experience of Brooks's, which he told to Crow. He said, let me just share something with you. I was walking in New York, and I saw a beautiful young girl walking with her father. There was something about the way they walked across the street, the way he guided her with a slight touch of her elbow and the way they looked at each other. That was very inspiring. And I thought to myself, what if that man was a crook? What do you think of that? So it started with the mother-father relationship. It didn't even start with the Pining Boy. Lloyd comes later. And I love this too, because the entire time watching this movie again with a partner that had never seen it before and how loving... John Mahoney is in it. He's like, yes. is he going to be bad? Please just tell me he's a good father. Please just tell me he's a good father because he didn't know. And I was like, yes, I will no. say. He's a bad person. He's, he's con- a bad he's person, okay but a good father. father. Like he, di- he did. He's he's con- he's con- it's, it's a complex character. Yeah. Which yes. like, it's not just a villain. And I think probably also Jeff might have been concerned because now every, a every father's a molester. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah, yeah. what he was <laughs> nervous about. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, I don't think I can handle watching this pivot into that. And I was like, I can tell you it's not what you think. Right, right. And it's he was a, so surprised by so what true. it was. It's and he not kept ever saying, what you think. Yo, and he kept saying, he's like, but he loves them. <laughs> but he like, but he enjoys his work. Right. We actually had to pause it to discuss the <laughs> ethical, like the yeah, moral yeah. standpoint from which and John how, Mahoney's character was written. And how a person can be good and bad because that's how everybody is in real and, life. Yes, and totally. to capture that in a movie that is just supposed to, like on the outside seemingly just a teen romance movie, that's a lot to tackle. For sure. That scene where he is sitting in the bathtub. Oh my is, God. It's so striking. So because, real. Because you are seeing this really intimate, like vulnerable space in this that this dad figure is in most of the time is like this sort of like boss figure. And then you just see him just like huddled in the bathtub trying yeah. to figure out what he's going to do. Oh and you're just like, oh my God, God this, I feel like I shouldn't be seeing it's this. Such a, yeah, it's such a uh, uncomfortable decline watching all throughout and seeing his like false confidence chip away throughout the whole film uh, is kind of, it's, it's such a good performance. We're going to get into him when we get to casting, but man, what a fucking great actor. I love Frasier, by the way. Big Frasier fan. Frazier. Love Frasier. This is not about Frasier. I want to do one, one oh, We're going to do one about Frasier. I've like, oh, watched every Niles. episode. I love Niles. So <laughs> I mean, if you're going to say this now, we have to bring up that B.B. Newworth is in this movie. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. Oh, snap. Uh, oh, snap. Uh, I, uh, sorry. <laughs> from here, from here, they begin to build out these two characters, this mother-father character, especially the father, James, uh, father, James Court, who runs a nursing home, which Crow was very used to at this point because he's visiting his own grandmother at a nursing home quite often. So that's where that idea, I think, kind of came to life. Crow said, I had wanted to write an adult character with all the shadings for a long time. As for Diane, she was difficult to write. Guys are easy for me. They crack me up. Girls have always been more of a mystery. I had skipped two grades and they were always older and more mature than I was when I was at school. So he had to spend a lot of time just 
talking to women during this period, attempting to actually understand them as opposed to writing some stupid caricature. And I think he did a damn good job. Great yes, job. and that's what he said. While Fast Times was about sex, drugs, rock and roll, and being an adult at a little kid's age, Crow said, Say Anything allowed me to draw characters with more depth. I never got a chance to write a love relationship before. It was a feeling I had tried in the past and had missed because it was a little bit more cartoony. Yeah. Even though it was still fairly grounded, but this was such a beautiful relationship to watch unfold from the beginning that you can see the progression and never like, well, why is she doing that? Yeah, had it. Yeah, it, but also in a way that was true to teenagers, where it was yeah. too dramatic at points, and they were already in love with each other yes. very quickly. Right. I, I was going to ask, like, do y'all think that he did nail the the female voice in this? You, you know what I mean? Or, or uh, it was not who I was no. as a person, right? But I believe her as a character for sure. Right. Right. And I always did hear, you know, even it's funny because Charlize Theron says this a lot of like, no one asked me out on a date. Someone ask me out on a date. Yeah. I'm asking right now. Right. Someone, everyone is scared of asking me out on a date because yeah. they think that I am above it. Please ask me out on a date. <laughs> and I think that that encapsulates. I mean, she knows she's one of the fucking most beautiful people in the world. Right. She knows it. Yes. And I've heard that before. I forget who it was, but uh, a woman, a front woman of a band talking about how different it is in terms of like just hooking up on the road or like getting hit yeah. on. on the, like it's, she's like, I never like... It, it, the men are intimidated because I'm up there on the stage, like commanding right. the stage. And the, it, it weirdly works in reverse for a lot of women to for sure, absolutely. Of like dating and courting. And 100%. Stuff. And what is really cool is that um, originally at this point in time, as Cameron Crowe and James L. Brooks are, are fleshing out this story, is originally Lawrence Kasdan was going to direct this film. Mm. And he is the writer of The Empire Strikes Back Fuck and yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark and director of The Big Chill and Body Heat. Oh, Big Chill! Oh, don't even... Don't sorry, even I can't... Okay, I, I, any, 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 hey, any fucking hey, time! Hey. <laughs> but he is the one that backs down for Cameron Crowe to direct it because he says, you are that main character. You should direct it. And isn't that fucking cool? Yeah, awesome. I love of it. someone that is like so well known and for James L. Brooks to be like, you know what? Okay, yeah, let's fucking do it. I mean, at least they already knew he's some kind of fucking genius. Yeah. yeah. But also, I mean, he really does. I, I, I didn't even think about this before, but um, I'll, I'll skip this big quote about Diane from Crow because it's, so much of it is just to say, Diane, in a lot of ways, is actually Cam is Cameron Crow. That's the thing, and yeah. I think it's so interesting. He skipped all the grades. Right. And he was like the smart, like kid, and the fish yeah. out of water yeah. in technically the same water. Yeah, and yeah. never quite fit in with everyone, and was always kind of on the outside. And it that's why when you ask the question of like, do you think that that represents a female voice of that time period? Not like, and I, I agree with you, Natalie, not mine, but I did know also people that were very close to their family that also did the same kind of thing that when you get that insular support, there are times that you don't like, I needed to reach out to my friends. I had to have right. my friend group around to feel supported and about what I wanted to do. I knew from a young age that a friend group was very important in my life. Right. Yeah. But then there are people that are completely content with the relationship, like of her having to undergo going through a trial to pick her father to live with in a divorce. You've made your bed at that point. And she's just like, well, 
I am tied to him now, but she did it in a respectful way. Yeah. And he's tied to her right. excellence. He's pushing her through this and she obviously is a genius on her own. So her being the smartest kid in school and a girl would probably, like we were saying with Shirley Stern, make her really isolated yeah. because people don't know how to talk to her and they are intimidated. Yeah. And she doesn't know she's like hot yet. Yeah. You know? Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So they've got the father character and they've got the daughter character. And they just, they now need to move on to this third character that they, they're trying to bring in. They they want it to uh, actually end up being based on a character that, a, a real person. I love this. Uh, named Lowell, who was a kickboxer that claimed his family was under investigation by the IRS. Which, this was again, Cameron that- Crowe's next door neighbor. Yes. <laughs> that he was, he was a kickboxer that literally introduced, he knocked on Cameron Crowe's door. <laughs> int- he opens up the door and he goes, hey, I'm a kickboxer and it's the sport of the future. I'd like to share my story with you. <laughs> And that is what That's he says amazing. when he answered the fucking door. Crow said he Love had it. a wonderful mannerism. He always wiped his hand off before shaking hands. He lost most of his fights, but remained relentlessly optimistic. That, to me, oh. is truly heroic. I soon realized nothing I could create could be as unique as this guy at my door. So Lowell became Lloyd. Uh, Crow's- but that's also where he got the idea of the IRS stuff. Yes, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh I apologize. No, 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 no. That's, uh, I, I did, we kind of breezed past it. Yeah, right? That his father was being investigated by the IRS back in Arkansas. <laughs> so this all just kind of came together and even said that it was kind of kismet, Holden. But I think it's a good example for anyone out there interested in writing their own material and, uh, you Take know. Take from what you know. Yeah. Always. Just, yeah. just look at the world around you. And and I love how Crow talks about, first of all, the, man, the uh, first of all, I love how James L. Brooks talks about this father-daughter that he saw and was inspired by, right? That means his eyes are open to the world around him. He's observing the world around him and he's collecting st- ideas for stories in that way which you have to actively do sometimes you know you that you kind of need to train you, you don't just naturally do that a lot and then crow same right listen to this quote about his interaction with lowell because that you could see how he observes things through it he had a wonderful mannerism he always wiped his hand off before shaking hands he lost most of his fights but remained relentlessly optimistic that to me is truly heroic i soon realized nothing i could create could be as unique as this guy at my door so Lowell became Lloyd like just saying like the way he noticed he wiped his hand off every time before shaking hands like these little tiny things is what a character makes completely you're yes. right and 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 also to flesh out these characters in and talk about well written in an uh, hour and 40 minutes so good. this entire 
no fat story is done with such great detail in an hour and 40 minutes. It can be done, writers and directors yeah, of this yeah. time period. Because right now, I feel like everything, not to be an old person, is two and a half fucking hours yeah, long. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Now that you don't have to worry about how much film you're using, people are just like, make it four hours long. <laughs> Put all of it into it. And yeah. I say this as a lover of the Fast and the Furious franchise. That, yeah, sure. Put more action in it. There's no dialogue to be found. That's fine. I uh, I agree with that. I think that party scene should also be studied in in class because of how much it establishes yeah. in, in this one chunk of incredibly just entertaining people human interaction. When he keeps making eye contact with her because yep. he's just checking up, just checking and up. the fact that she notices, mm -hmm. which is the kind of thing that like. Oh, it melts my heart. But that's another great example of like, he lets her just enjoy the party. Yeah, right? go enjoy so it, many go times be in it. You see the guy, you know, and in most other movies, the guy'd be like right up against the girl the whole time. How about we go here now? How about, I love that he's just like, have fun. Enjoy yourself for well, once in your fucking life. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to be up your ass. Like, And I'm key master, so I'll be sober. Yeah. And so you go have fun. The whole party is so observational. Yeah. Because, like you said, we're learning about these two main characters by their interactions with all of these other kids. And also seeing those kids alone sometimes. They're not even just focusing on their relationship. We're looking at the kids around them, which also kind of makes you understand the, the protagonist's relationship more. Right. Totally. Um, yeah, and, and then there's very funny moments in there and yep. a very inappropriate counselor coming to the <laughs> Really party. shouldn't be at the party. <laughs> really shouldn't Probably be shouldn't be at the party. Uh, about Lloyd Crowe said, he's a pure soul, a man who represents a very specific point of view. Optimism is a revolutionary act. Life keeps bumping up against Lloyd and those around him, but he chooses to say, why can't you just be in a good mood? How hard is that? I love that. I, I love that line. I love it. And it is just the, the look on Joan Cusack's face of... Because she lives in the real world, and because you don't yet, and that and that is really just a huge part of that of like why can't you just be in a good mood? You can choose to be in a good mood, and I uh, over and over again in the DVD commentary, Cameron Crowe and James L. Brooks say optimism is a revolutionary act. I love it. Is the theme of them for this movie, cool. and you're right because especially in the late '80s, where just man, the cynicism was. So, and then into the 90s, yeah. Yeah. where it was cool to be blasé and apathetic or, to everything. Yeah, yeah. And I like that he was someone that had something to say, even though, you know, his manifesto that John Cusack writes for the character, because he did write a manifesto for it, sure, is sure, what spurs sure. a lot of what he says. Like, even the line at the dinner comes from the manifesto that John <laughs> Cusack writes for Lloyd Dobler specifically, because he was so interested in the idea of using optimism as a juxtaposition to the other Well, characters. that is sort of one of the reasons that John... Cusack took the role right because he was so tired of doing like teen movies that yeah. he was like not interested yeah. and then you kind of find that out that this character's more complicated than just a playing like a hey I'm, right. I'm a guy in high school I'm right, awkward right right better off dead essentially better off which yes. is a yeah. movie is of, of 80s caricatures but like yeah it's <laughs> it's completely but I totally get that and and I love that he still did this film is I don't think 
anyone else could have played that no, part. I, no, I think it's that the casting was very important to this. But I mean, the directing too. Yeah, sure. And the writing, uh, producer Polly Platt said, Lloyd recognizes the importance of relationships, romantic and familial. Even though uh, Diane's father has done something which she considers terrible, and even though her father dislikes Lloyd and convinces her to break off with him at one point, it is Lloyd who makes her realize she shouldn't sever the relationship with her father. It is Lloyd who plays the peacemaker and impresses upon her the importance of family relationships. He becomes the bridge that will exist between Diane and her father. And much to his fucking disgust. (laughs) John Mahoney, I love that even to the end, not even like a like yeah. love for him yeah. of what of him trying to be that bridge and Lloyd just accepts it and he's okay yeah. with that and he's used to that and, yeah he's used to it and I imagine <laughs> with having a family that moves around a lot because they say that both of Lloyd Dobler's parents are in the military so he's moved around a lot so it seems that he's always been the communication bridge in his family so adding on another family to that probably isn't too difficult for him I may try this with like my next screenplay I think this is a really nice uh, uh, little factoid about the process is that Crow then goes off writes a 90 page novella uh, about, that is the story, right? I think that 90 pages actually, perfect. That's like 30 pages an act, essentially. Yeah. So it works out that way. And, and he wrote it in Diane Court's voice, oh. which is why I think, mm. like, as a writing exercise, that's he wrote cool. it in her voice to try to get into her head that's cool. to flesh out the character, which is so pre- that's awesome. Yeah, pre shooting, yeah. he did this? Yeah. yeah. Okay, pre cool. screenplay. And that, that served oh, as the screenplay. That served cool. as yeah. an outline as like a basis for the screenplay. Yeah. And I he think, said, yeah, that's smart. He's like, it turned out to be first person, Diane. Diane Court, which was really helpful because then I did another draft that was all about Diane. That's being lucky enough to have somebody who's inspiring and generous with their time. It's about learning your own voice. So he sat and and worked on that because he was very intimidated to write a true like a, a, in the feminine voice because mm-hmm. he had like you said he was it was in and out of high school he wasn't around a he lot of girls super, his age. He was so super young yeah. at this point. That's. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Ladies are complicated. They are. <laughs> and imagine writing as us has to be even more complicated. Because yeah. You, you want to get it right. And it's, I'm pretty complicated. Yeah. yeah, yeah you, you don't even know what goes on inside of here. I like beans and I like farts <laughs> and I like eating beans uh, and having some farts. You're just as man. Uh, Crow uh, <laughs> actually was prodded by Brooks into the director role. Polly Platt said, as well as Polly Platt, the producer. She said, I thought he had the potential to be a gifted director. I also enjoy working with first-time directors because they're so open to new ways, ideas, and stories. It keeps me open. Sometimes I feel that Cameron doesn't have a dark side. The film reflects his personality. It's decent, funny, vigorous, energetic, and fresh because film is magical and picks up the properties of the people who direct it. Polly Platt, who is a famous producer of many different things, um, so cool to be able to work with both her and James L. Brooks on what this. What a powerhouse insane it's crazy and i i love this quote that crow said that it took him actually a long time to be the man in charge he said so much of my work when you think about it satirizes authority figures yeah i've been a rock and roll journalist since i was 15 years old and rock and roll is about breaking down authority and suddenly here i was telling people where to stand (laughs) and what to do it was very weird 
Uh, so getting into the casting, by this time, John Cusack had been working steadily in film. 16 Candles, The Sure Thing, I already mentioned Better Off Dead, Stand By Me. He was their number one choice for the role without a fallback in mind. Makes a lot of sense, right? We just talked about how just important he is to this role. Crow said, I always thought John had a Holden Caulfield type quality. Totally. He, he's a wonderful actor who has been able to combine the humor and soulful qualities that the character Lloyd called for. I'd seen all of Cusack's movies and I knew one thing. He's incapable of playing a stereotype. There's too much going on inside of him. That's and another Great per- yes. yeah. quote. And another person that I think that could have done it that actually turned it down right before John Cusack was Robert Downey Jr. And I think at that time period, if you're thinking of like, you know, less than zero time period of Robert Downey Jr., he couldn't, I think, take on another project. <laughs> yeah, <probably>. um, Why? <laughs> but it does make sense because I feel like in that Robert Downey Jr. could have also brought that out of it, but it would not have been the same Lloyd Dobler because John Cusack brings so much of himself into it, and we'll definitely get into that when it comes to like costuming. Here's like uh, Cusack's description of Lloyd. Lloyd is a great American character. He's an individualist who marches to the beat of his own drum and trusts his instincts. He's a guy who's well aware of what is going on around him, yet he chooses to be optimistic. It's a valid and interesting approach to life. It's certainly more creative than opting for teen angst, which is boring and an adolescent. And and like you said, he was reluctant to take the role because he says, quote, I never wanted to be a charm monster again, but he had do- just finished shooting the a baseball movie called Eight Men Out with John Mahoney when John Mahoney had gotten the script. And he was like, you should just, he's like, I know you don't want to be another teen movie. You should read the script. I think that this would be great for you. You should read the script. They already had like put it into John Mahoney's head of like, we really want John Cusack. So we kind of like helped him read it. And he says, at first, uh, this is what uh, John Cusack said about it. I thought that the character Lloyd Dobler didn't have enough dimension at the time, more of a worldview, politics, you know? I was listening to The Clash. So I (laughs) wanted him to have thoughts outside of his high school or county or state to think about the world the way people do when they're young. Mm -hmm. And that is a huge part of of Lloyd Dobler that Cameron Crowe worked with him to introduce into the character, mm-hmm. which is another thing. If you think of Cameron Crowe where it's like, you're a celebrated screenplay writer, director, all this, even at this age. And for him to be open to the fact of like, hell yeah, let's make it, let's, yeah, let's bring those elements into it. I'm completely open for you to bring whatever you want into this character. And I think that's fucking cool. <laughs> it's smart, too. I mean, that you that's a good director. Yeah. yeah. Knowing that you can't just micromanage and be, like, egomaniacal about it because you need to have people's energies put into it. That's well, that's a, it's a collaborative project. And I think that that harkens back to what you just said, Holden, that the Polly Platt's line about working with a first-time director, yeah. too, of being that open, of like, yeah, please, Bring, yeah, let's bring the elements you want into it. Please help help me. (laughs) I think, and it's so funny because they kind of follow that method even now in the MCU. They don't take first-time directors, but they take these fresh, young directors that can come in and really mix it up. Yeah. That's like nice, supple, hurt. Yeah, exactly. Directors. Hurt and supple and tight. Taika Waititi, give me a kiss. Oh, give me love. Give me a kiss. Taika. Uh, I'm so I'm so paranoid about saying names wrong. Ion. Ione. 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 
Good. See, there you go. Yeah. I was wrong. Ioni Sky was also locked into her part very quickly. Can I just say real quick? Ioni Sky is the daughter of Donovan. Yes, hurdy gurdy man himself. Yes, season of the witch Donovan. They call me Mello. And was actually introduced to Cameron Crowe by Moon Zappa, the daughter of Frank Zappa. Of course. Mm-hmm. Because Moon Zappa invited both Cameron Crowe and Ioni Sky over to dinner for them to connect. And Cameron Crowe said Moon really wanted it for Ioni. She was being a wonderful friend. And Ioni Sky said, I think my father being Donovan was a plus because Cameron loves music, as we all know. I knew this was a great project with Jim Brooks producing. It was a long process of auditioning and very nerve-wracking. Cameron Crowe pushed me to take it very seriously and work very hard on the auditions. But is it that? I mean... Talk about using the the clout that you have to make shit happen. Yeah. Like, yeah. My father is Donovan. You <laughs> sure. are, don't get me in there. And God I, damn it. I don't ever have hate for people who have that in as long Hell as they're no. working hard for it. It sucks if people are just like, I guess I'll just do this because I can. But like, she clearly is a great actor. She had already proven herself like that. She convinced them already with her performance in the film River's Edge, mm-hmm. a teen yeah. crime drama. So she did have at least something they could go to and say like, no, she's got what it takes. Platt said, Ioni brings a fragility and vulnerability to the role, which makes Diane more interesting. Without these qualities, Diane's perfection would be boring. Crow said, like Diane, she's a subtle beauty. It's a beauty that comes from not fully realizing how beautiful you really are. Her performance is haunting in the same way. Uh, However, their search for Diane's father proved to be a much more difficult task. Platt said, we had a very difficult time finding an actor in that age bracket. I do love as well that not only Danny DeVito, Randy Quaid were brought up for it, but Dick Van Dyke ah. came in and ah. he and Cameron <laughs> Crowe said he was fragile and wanted to make sure he was really in the running for it. He went up for lots of How? meetings where people wanted to just meet him. So he was very excited about this. He did know he was a little old for the part and he was honored to come in. And apparently they also sent the script to Richard Dreyfus. Oh. And he wrote back saying, it's a great script. I want to play Lloyd Dobler. <laughs> which is very, and oh, like, boy. <laughs> you're, you're like too old to play Lloyd. Sorry, bro. I like this movie with Randy Quaid. <laughs> yeah, it would be interesting. That would be interesting. <laughs> Platt said, who could play such a demanding and complicated role? Role. We wanted a relatively fresh face who you would never guess had a negative side. So this is perfect. Uh, we didn't get to John Mahoney until a few days before the rehearsals began. He's a wonderful, versatile professional. Once again, we were very fortunate. Uh, Mahoney had been working in film since 81 and had already gotten some solid roles, such as Moonstruck. We did that episode on oh. that, or we did share, but still. Uh, and he was not a household name, though, and would not remain that way until Frasier. What? Remember the what? dog? I remember the dog. Daphne, remember Niles <laughs> and Daphne? I do. With, uh, with John Mahoney, <laughs> also funny that Jeff immediately was like why is his hair so poorly dyed in this and I was like so and then over time as the movie went on he's like oh it's to see him starting to like let it go of like the facade and what a good physical representation Mm -hmm. of the falling away of your confidence is letting your hair go yeah and you could like and that was such a, a subtle way to do it as well because even the like the tub scene you were talking about 
And you could start seeing the gray coming in. And then by the end, he has the full, almost full gray head of hair yeah. in uh, the prison. And also, I think it's it's fitting to for him to have put, you know, hair club for men dye on his hair. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, it wouldn't be, like, perfectly done. Right, right. No. Yeah. Crow said, it's amazing how often dad is still portrayed in films as a pseudo father-knows-best figure. Mahoney shows the many layers of a single father who wants to inspire his daughter without being a silver-haired authority figure. This, of course, brings its own set of problems. I will say that is a quote in the context of this time period. I think father, the father has been explored in various ways since, right. but I think it took movies like this. But, well, dude, but sure. when he says the father's knows best thing, I mean, honestly, pro- like every movie at that time probably really was that like pipe smoking oh, yeah. fucking, you know, like Mr. You know, kind of yeah. man of the house kind of thing. And even Cameron no Crowe does say, he's like, I got the question all the time. Why does the father have to be guilty? And he said, my answer was always, without the father being guilty, it's pretty in pink. Right. And I never thought about that before. I was like, you're right. The parents, well, that, the parents guess, in pretty yeah. in pink are like the worst people in the fucking, <laughs> the way that, oh, I'm not going to get into pretty in pink. Um, I like that you wanted to. <laughs> you wanted to. Uh, Uh-oh. Yeah, uh-oh. System of Down episode. What, what? I don't know. John's own sister, Joan Cusack, portrays his sister in the film. We talked about it before, but yes, they got to act together. I, I love how beautiful their performance is. Joan Cusack, there's just... She is like, she might as well step out of the screen and into my living room. She is so just real and so oh, yeah. feels like, I feel like she's a part of my family. She is so, just so grounded. Wait, I mean, 16 Candles. Pretty in Pink is actually kind of dark and awesome. <laughs> and 16 Candles is the corny one. Is the one, one yeah, with yeah, the, yeah, 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 that has the, just a- the stereotypes. And the- yeah. Shout outs to Lily Taylor as Lloyd's musician friend. She is amazing in everything I love she you, does. Lily I Taylor, love you, Lily Taylor. Kiss six me. So good at six I just so also, conjuring. I love that she all, the Conjuring? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was going right? to say, she, she's, awesome. she's not bad in The Haunting, but The Haunting's one of the worst horror movies I've <laughs> I know, but, but I love Lily Taylor oh, so yeah. much. I also love that he's in, that's another collaborator of, of Cusack's where she's in, multi, you know, she's in High Fidelity too. and Because they were just friends. And yeah. that is something that in, in reading about this, and I never knew this about John Cusack. Number one, all the kickboxing was real. Yes. And he was training and apparently. Yeah. It got uh, him into it lifelong. He's like a double black. Oh, yeah. Now. And in fact, even in the, um, uh, the Machete Kills, the book that Jeff is reading right now. He was just talking about how, oh, what's his name? Why Now I can't think of it. Danny Trejo. Danny Trejo. In fact, even Jeff was just telling me in Danny Trejo's autobiography, he said John Cusack is one of the only men that he would be scared to ever fight huh. in real life. He's like, he's a real one. He knows how to fucking yeah. fight. Um, and I like, I forgot where I was going with this, but I just like that John Cusack is a kickboxer. And you know what? I want to kiss him. Not anymore, but. I mean, he's not a, he's not a problem. No, 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 he's no. not bad. He's, he's a just, super, I think he's just kind of an asshole. I think he's a political activist. Yeah. And he's like real quirky. Like he yeah. just rides his bike around. He's yes. eccentric. Yeah. Yes. he brings his friends in mm. to a lot of what he works on. Jeremy Piven. Like Jeremy Piven. Yeah. He flew out, like for that scene, the bros scene, he flew out his buddies on his own dime to shoot that scene because he's a- like, I mean, I may as well give them some work. I love that. But they didn't feel sure. like actors in a that no. scene. It felt like real no, dudes were in the 80s Jeremy out Piven, of a gas, outside a gas station. Regardless of the man himself, right. he's very funny in yes. this movie. Yeah. He's great for that part. Great for that part. Which we'll see again in PCU. Yes. 
Quan? Can we do a PCU episode? <laughs> sure, yeah. I don't know what that word was. I love it. Yeah. Wake up! Wake up! Blow me where the pampers are. <laughs> pampers are, excuse me? Excuse me? Oh my God, dude. So funny. Um, But also, you've got Eric Stoltz as well as yes. one of the crazy high schoolers and also probably this, a, a this Cusack buddy. Post, this is post a few years from Back to the Future, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So Absolutely. he just like, I mean, that whole thing's so fucked up, but he just kept working. He was never like not a working actor. He right. went to Cameron Crowe and asked him if he could do this. And also he worked as a professional, quote unquote, professional PA, which was essentially what they called him to give him some money to hang out with John Cusack on set. And he was just like, yeah, I'm just like your pro on set. So that's why he's in the scenes that he's in because he was just kind of around. And here's a fun little uh, uh, casting factoid that's probably a connector through James L. Brooks and The Simpsons, but uh, voice of Homer, Dan Castellaneta, is uncredited as Diane's teacher. Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Oh, that's fun. Oh, interesting. Little facts. Isn't that fun? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's all I have on the cast. Let's move on to filming. Uh, not a ton on uh, the actual shoot here, but I will say a lot and, of... Oh, but I will say, yeah. everyone say? thought that they were fucking in real life because yes. of the connection that they had. Didn't they kind... They have dabbled. They have, and I think it's really fun. No, I hope because that time is not good. She was 16. No, but she was in a relationship. No, no, in the future, they would, like, the future. They, would, they would have like a kind of a, I think some fun hookups throughout there. Good. She says about every five years. Yeah. And oh, I think fun. it's very funny that she's like, yeah, we still stay in contact because... They were so into each other. Right. And she even said um, it was difficult for her because during the car driving scene, she said, I was so turned on in the hmm. scene. And she was talking to John Cusack in an interview by you as I was crossing your lap. Uh, if we didn't have boyfriends and girlfriends, this is the day we would have gone home together or it? maybe sooner. And Cusack's reply, awesome. <laughs> 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 and apparently the day that they shot that car driving scene, Ione Sky's real life boyfriend waited around for her in the trailer all day, <laughs> which she said was really annoying. And she says that in another life, she and John would have been a great love and that their romantic attraction to each other really kept yeah. that, and you know, kept that physical heat on screen. But then it really was, she's like, yeah, every five years we kind of like, Hook up. I'm glad they. Did, I'm glad they didn't have sex when she was 16. Well, I yes. know that. I wonder yes. what boyfriend that was because I do know that early on in life she had a pretty long lasting relationship with Anthony Kiedis of the uh, Red Hot Chili. Peppers. I believe that she, that was the that relationship was the she was boyfriend? in. Which again, it, I it sure was a different he was time. No, I guess. he's very he's very problematic. Yeah, he's an idiot. Oh yeah, no, he's disgusting. That whole band is but weird. 
her father, and not like to sweet. say this, but it's like her father was Donovan. I bet she was on the fucking scene really early. And I, it seems, and we can see this on, like, I wasn't like that at 16. I wasn't able to like hold my own at 16. And I don't think that it is right whatsoever. But um, I feel like in, you know, 1988 was this. Yeah. It was a different, that it wouldn't have been as For yucky. Sure. I mean, I still think it's. I think yucky. it was 990. Actually, yeah, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they were filming in you know the eighties, and yeah. yeah, for sure, you can't go back and change shit. You you can't, you know. At least they were like similar in age. Anthony Kiedis's age gaps kept getting wider and wider <laughs> oh, and wider. Oh yeah, yeah, no, 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 so disgusting. Yeah. Um, but back to the manifesto I was talking. So why does the earlier. gap in Flea's teeth? Am I right? Huh? Hey, oh! uh, there I found it. Uh, going oh. back, yeah, so yeah. Cusack wrote a manifesto <laughs> that was several pages long, and he said one of the items on that manifesto for Lloyd Dobler was the bought, sold, and processed line. The line is, I don't want to sell anything, buy anything, or process anything as a career. I don't want to sell anything bought or processed, or buy anything <laughs> sold or processed. I love it. Or process anything sold, bought, or processed, <laughs> or repair anything sold, bought, or processed, you know, as a career. I don't want to do that. He wrote, that was the line that John Cusack wrote. Great. I love that. So uh, because he felt that that was a foundation of how this character would feel. And it's so funny because it that just... That's just capitalism. So yeah. all of capitalism it's you don't want to be a part of, and I get it. But also, uh, lo looking back at this, this is why people from Gen X are probably so bitter. Like, they're supposed to choose their career yeah. at 17. Yeah. And, yeah. and B.B. Newhart's character's like, you're the only one that hasn't decided what you're going to do yet. <laughs> Got to start your life old. now. And yeah. he's like, uh, why? I'm... 17. I mean, it's it's been kind of forced in by student debt and generally, but the idea now is, I think in most cases, like take at least a year and just like work a job and like just figure, like think about what you want after and high you're school probably and gonna then change go to college. Yeah, and yeah. then you're probably going to change careers at some point in yeah. your life because you don't know what you want at no. that age. Even I, I was like one of the ones where people were like, wow, you're really like on a path like going to theater school. And even I had this dumb idea of like, I have to become a serious actor with my life because I can't just do comedy. That's crazy. You know what I mean? So yeah. even, even that was like off base completely for what I really wanted to do. And I didn't figure that out for two more years. Sure. That I could just do comedy. Uh, but regardless, uh, the filming, a lot of stuff ha happened. In yeah. Los Angeles. Uh, yeah. I know it's set in Seattle, but a lot of the shots were done in Los Angeles, including the famous boombox scene. We'll get to that later. Seattle still maintains a presence throughout the film. Crow's uh, follow-up film, Singles, would also be set in Seattle at the height of the grunge movement. And this shows Seattle in its precursor form to that. The Yeah. And I will say that, um, and we'll talk about this in just a little bit about the music and the soundtrack, that... Nancy Wilson, who was the wife of Cameron Crowe during this, who is also the head of the band Heart, pushed oh, yeah. for the push for the movie to be set in Seattle because of the burgeoning music that was coming from there. And she wanted more then that's also why singles was set there as well. But there are many, very angry things written about how this movie says it's in Seattle they didn't shoot it in Seattle and that's not Seattle and it's just so upset about it because they're butt hurt that grunge is over right. and you know <laughs> it, it, it's done but at the time what, what a beautiful little love letter I know that it wasn't all shot in Seattle no, they but also this isn't about landmarks. the grunge no yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what the, like way more is uh, like the, the singles suburbs. is about that yes, yeah. yes most of the stuff they but they do see like 
a lot of times when he's in the car and you see different landmarks and things, those are Seattle like right. mainstays and stuff. And the fact that the um the monument that she sees that are dressed up for the graduation oh, day, yeah. they actually usually in that town dress up the the monument for different mm-hmm. fun events. Nice. That's fun. Yeah, so That's they did bring fun. a part of Seattle into it, you meanies out there. It, yeah, you fucking weird people who are weird about you this movie. You weird weirds. But I will also <laughs> say, we talked about how like the pedigree is so crazy here. Cameron Crowe, John Cusack, James L. Brooks, uh, uh, Polly Platt. Uh, the cinematographer, Laszlo Kovacs. Crazy. Holy shit. Yes. Cinematographer, DP on uh, uh, Easy Rider, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which is like amazingly shot. Paper Moon, The Last Wall. It just brought up the level of this movie, which again, we talked about this in other rom-coms as well, that it, the people that work on it, when you can come together to make so much more than just a romance. The, like editor, romance. the editor, Richard Marks, fucking Apocalypse Now, Godfather Part 2, yeah. Pretty in Pink. Which yeah, like, which makes sense pretty of and pink why is good. Yeah. Um, originally this was tied to... Uh, Lawrence Kasdan. Mm. It makes a lot more sense that they were trying to essentially build um, yeah. a, a super team yeah. to make this movie. It's incredible the 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 people who worked on this film uh, and the costume design, including the costume design. Yeah. You know, she started her co- uh, her career doing costumes for Death Race two thousand in nineteen seventy. Fucking fucking love that. I movie. love that movie. <laughs> so, yes, we're talking about Jane Room. And man, you know what I fucking like about movies? What the motherfucking cock sucking costume design? Yeah, bro. That Cusack. You know the signature. The signature outfit with the Clash t-shirt. He said it was a really odd time when I look back on it. I remember it being a savage time in a weird way. Ronald Reagan was talking about nuclear war. So I was into the Clash and I was into world consciousness. And he actually dressed just like Lloyd Dobler. Hell yeah. A lot of the clothes were his <laughs> own, and it, which makes a lot of sense. And um, he was also just against um, Ronald Reagan, bro. <laughs> but you know what he wasn't against? Trenches. Oh, yeah, dude. He loves trench warfare. Uh, before idiots ruin trench coats for us, this yes. fucking look rules. I God, love it so, so hot. Much. So hot in this yeah, movie. Good J- Lord. Yeah, Jane Room, as we said, came out of that kind of B-movie Roger Corman world, uh, but she got... Uh, more into the big leagues when she was hired on Steven Spielberg's anthology show, Amazing Stories. Love oh, cool. Amazing Stories. Uh, and then actually was uh, getting hired onto the Tracy Ullman show produced by James L. Brooks. I think that's what kind of connected her to this, got her to this film. And she just really, and right, Tracy Ullman show, you think about the costume work on that is yeah. like phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, that that whole look, man, the, the trench coat, Clash t-shirt, jogging pants and sneakers, I mean, it's just abs- It literally is the '80s. I feel like. For yeah, so many and it's people. it's it's subtle too. Where the thing that I hated as a teenager about Ten Things I Hate About You, I think they now that I really appreciate, which I think they did in this movie as well, is it's not. Um, they're, they're not wearing clothes that are over the budget of what you would be wearing. Ah, uh, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's a yes. real budget. Yeah, exactly. And his car. And yeah. everything yes. represents like a real fucking kid. It's a real time. slice of life at, of this time period. Totally. And, and it wasn't that you watch it and there's so many things from the 80s that you watch and you're like, Jesus Christ, look at it. Because again, they blow it up of like, not everybody looked like that in the 80s. Yeah. And, and had like, like the big hair. And, yeah. And, and this is what a normal 
snapshot. And that house party. That yeah. House party right. Oh, this is what it was like. Yeah. I believe that house Yeah, party. this to me, I, this must have been what it was like to be a teenager in the 80s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Debaucherous. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Let's talk about that for a second. The whole part where it's like, I'll be home before dawn. Before I dawn. Know. Can like, you imagine it? And just the idea that like, I and I feel like this is was true for the 80s. Like all the parents know they're going to a party to drink. Like that's no secret. You know, it's Ma completely I was talking with my allowed. sister about this. She's like, there were times when I'd be like, Mom, I'll see you on Monday. And yeah. she would just be gone for the weekend. And yeah. I was like, we didn't have a cell phone. <laughs> she couldn't fucking find me. She had no idea what I was doing. I was like, that's horrifying. <laughs> as of like, can you imagine as a parent just being like, well, try not to die or get pregnant. And that's even, that, was, that, was, that was me as a kid because I was bad. Right. But, <laughs> but and even the overprotected kid is, is uh, Ioni's, uh, Diane is like, I'll be home bef by, before you know, dawn. By, yeah. by dawn. The reason I could buy that though from this dad was because she's such a goody two shoes right. that like, he knows. She yeah, she's calling yeah. like, hi dad, hello, Until I'm sober. She Until she doesn't. That's right. Uh -oh. She got that fucking dick. Wait, that D, she got bro. that But then she immediately she talks immediately about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, Bill. I feel so much more comfortable just saying the truth Whoa. to you. But I think that was scene was marked there to be like, she tells him everything. Oh, yeah, definitely. And he's making big fucking lies. Yeah. No, for sure. All the time. And no. that was her biggest thing about what he did. It yeah. was the lies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I that I think with the, as far as the costuming, going back to that, um, her dress for the party I think was really perfect in that. Yeah, it, she doesn't know how to be young, right? And but it's also very simple. Like it's not too sexy, and it's definitely not too young, right? Because everybody else is dressed a, a little bit more immature at the party. Uh -huh, right. uh -huh. But like they, I think they did a really good representation of her and made her look very angelic. Yeah. and everything. And I, I like that that outfit for uh, her. Any more about the costumes before we move on to that boombox scene? Um, I don't think so. All right, so so that boombox scene, Cameron Crowe said, it's when you're at the peak of loving a song and the song is speaking to you so loudly. I thought, what if you take this song to the person that you're thinking about and just listen to it with them? But I didn't know how it was going to turn out. Uh, and fun fact, and by fun I mean disappointing, the actors weren't even in the same place for the boombox scene. Uh, uh, John Cusack also was actually in our neck of the woods in a park in North Hollywood, maybe even where I did it my baby shower. It is straight up the place where you did your baby or shower. Or y'all did my baby shower, uh, rather. Is yeah. it actually that yep. park? It is that park. Isn't it that is amazing? literally that I could park. tell. Holy I like shit. I watched the scene, I was like, I think that's the fucking park. I didn't is. know that. Isn't that amazing? Yep, and I was like, I looked, at, I looked, uh, I was like, I have to find out, because they said it was in North Hollywood across from a 7-Eleven, and I was like, it can't be. And I scoured, and I found out exactly where it was, and yes. Wow. So that is really fun, but they weren't even in the same place, and in fact, they weren't even listening to In Your Eyes. So Crow came up with the idea. He wanted this scene, right? Yes. John Cusack, not on board with the scene. No. <laughs> and his wife, Cameron Crow's wife, Nancy Wilson, the guitarist from Heart, he had hit a mental block and she they were supposed to go somewhere and she was running late to get ready. And so he was sitting in the car waiting for her to get ready. And he put on a mixtape uh, that was left over from their 1986 wedding um, of just the things that they listened to in the reception. And the song To Be a Lover by Billy Idol came on. That was originally the song that was yep. supposed to be in the slot. 
He also tried other songs as well, but it just wasn't hitting what it wanted to hit. The Smithereens were one of them. Mm. They turned in a track for it uh, called A Girl Like You, which is in in the soundtrack because he thought that it was uh, too close to the plot of the movie to be used in the scene. When the time came to film the scene, Cusack was actually playing Bonin' in the Boneyard (laughs) by one of his favorite bands, Fishbone. Yeah, I love Fishbone. I shot a movie with, um, uh, what's his name? Oh my God. What's his, the singer's name? Oh, the singer? I don't know his name. Wait, I have, it's embarrassing. Wait, I gotta say. Uh, I could, I could look this up too really quick. Uh, Angelo Carmen. Angelo, yeah. Wolf. So yeah, I did, I actually shot a movie on Warp Tour with Angelo for a summer. Um, they're, fan, they're, they're crazy. They're crazy. And if you haven't checked out Fishbone, um, I feel like Scott people get mad at me for saying this because everyone gets mad about music for some reason, but they are kind of a basis a foundation for ska music, right? In a lot of ways, or like a big part of the ska. Yeah, I don't know if they'd be foundation, but they definitely uh, are ska adjacent yeah, at the very yeah. least. Or like, yeah. like I think a huge influence too on like, especially more modern ska, or like when ska really got over like super popular. But yeah. that's part of the reason how he got John, John Cusack to do it is because he loves Fishbone. He's like, Fuck all right, yeah. well then I'll do this. We'll 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 shoot this and. um he, so he listens to the wedding tape and In Your Eyes comes on. And he's like, mm. that's it. That's the <laughs> fucking song. So he goes to James Brooks. He said, we got to get this song. So they call up Geffen Records. And apparently Peter Gabriel wasn't too keen on giving the song up for a movie. Mm. They hit up Rosanna Arquette, who Peter Gabriel was dating and supposedly huh? wrote the song In Your Eyes for. And she put in a good word because she really likes Cameron Crowe. And Peter Gabriel was like, all right, fine. I'll watch the movie and I'll let you know if you can use the song. He watches the movie and apparently Cameron Crowe was in Germany at the time. And he's sitting and he's waiting for him to watch this film. He calls him up and he said, I and Peter Gabriel says, I appreciate you asking for the song. It's a very personal song to me. And I just hope you don't mind that I have to turn you down. And Cameron Crowe was like, oh, fuck. All right, dude, I guess. And he's like, why? I have to ask why. Why was it wrong? And he said, well, when he takes the overdose, I just didn't feel like this is the right kind of use of the song. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What overdose? And he's like, yeah, you're making the John Belushi story, right? They were talking about the John Belushi biopic Wired. And he's like, no, 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 no. It's the movie with the guy in high school with the trench coat. And he's like, oh, the high school movie. Yeah, we haven't watched that yet. He's like, can you please watch it and please get back to me? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he ends up saying yes. I just, and I just don't know how those two so are confused with one another. I don't know. <laughs> that's so funny. And, I, and he really, like, they, and then he wanted an exorbitant amount of money. And James L. Brooks is like, I don't know if we can do it. And, like, when we were just talking about with the costuming and stuff like that, Cameron Grow was like, all right, we need to make this happen. Took money away from the other things from the movie. And, like, people even took, I think, pay cuts and shit like that so that he could get the song that he wanted for the scene. And at least it was an iconic yeah, scene. Yeah, at least yeah. If you're going to go through all of that, like, oh, it's worth yeah. it. And, and it, it's a great song. And the song's perfect for the scene. You also mentioned how Cusack was reluctant uh, to even do the scene, and I think that actually is what led to the performance that we get and, and led to what, what it makes it so special. Crow said, Cusack thought it was too subservient. The defiance that he has when he's doing the scene is what makes the scene great. He made it work. The way he performs it, it's just 
just blatantly defying you to consider it cheesy. That's why he's so heroic in that moment. He's still doubting whether the boombox scene is going to work at all. He's kind of fighting for the scene. I, I just love is you see knowing that and rewatching it, you absolutely see that. And then of course, uh, Ione uh, also was uh, super uncomfortable uh, in her dress that day and had a lot of trepidation about. She said um, you could see, which I also then in watching the scene, she was like, my stomach looked so fat in the nightgown, and all that's all I could think of while I was yeah. shooting the scene. And you can see how she uncomfortably puts her hands on her stomach and I was like man we've all been there before yeah. but just like don't again, just like draw an, attention to your exactly, stomach but it's like still a non-existent teenage girl right. thing but it doesn't matter I mean you should still feel comfortable in the scene and, but still that's what makes it's his defiance his defiantly holding the yeah. box and her absolute discomfort in yeah, that yeah. moment that just screams awkward teen moment yeah. that is like no one's sure if they're actually doing the right thing but they've got to do it because they just feel so strongly feel so about strongly it. Yeah. and he doesn't it. even know what to do yeah yeah, it's great, yeah. and the way that it's directed too, like the like you said, where it's it's a defiant move, where it's not he's just not passively holding it over his head. He's like, you can almost feel him like trying to like throw With it in the air or something. Yeah. And it stays, and that camera stays on him so much longer than his comfortable, yeah. right? Yeah, and again, that and is. There's, yes. there's, there's, he's so really good. good with silence silent moments and in, mm -hmm. in like not making same thing with Spielberg, like yeah. making those not imperfect. Dialogue scenes, keeping them in. Yeah. Like uh -huh. the kid, like when the kid messes up the pain yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, he like takes like five seconds to remember what the line is and he screams, pain! That's <laughs> so much oh funnier and, that way. Oh, Lloyd the Dobler kid is with so the good. kid. Oh, it's so good. Uh, yes. uh oh, Jackie. Goosh. Goosh. Uh, I, think, I think you may have uh, uh, mentioned this, but moving on to the music, John Cusack did have quite a hand in choosing uh, what songs would go on the soundtrack and be in the movie as well. He was very enthusiastic about that. He was a big Replacements fan. That's how Within Your Reach ends up And in uh, fact, the, the rest of the soundtrack was um, in complete collaboration of Cameron Crowe, John Cusack, and Nancy Wilson, who worked on the entire Say Anything soundtrack with Richard Gibbs and Anne Dudley. And um, Crowe and Nancy Wilson also then commissioned John Bettis and Martin Page to write the ballad All for Love, which Wilson then sings at the end of the movie. And I don't remember if I said this on the episode or not, but Nancy Wilson also wrote all of the Joe songs for Lily Taylor to perform, <laughs> went on set, taught Lily Taylor how to play them because she knew a little bit of guitar. And um, so Nancy Wilson had a, a large influence in this movie. And um, Heart's the best. Really, yeah. God, I love heart. But really um, breaks uh, Cameron Crowe's heart later on. But oh. Wow. For this story. Interesting. Uh, yeah, Living Color, uh, Cheap Trick, Depeche Mode. I mean, it's just an incredible soundtrack. Your lies when, when he cries. cries. I want that as a soundtrack. <laughs> I want the album of, of songs from her. I want to hear all of them. All yeah. of them. Also, all 60, uh, was it 60 yeah, songs? There's so many of them. Joe, by the way, very disappointing to have that many songs about him. Subpar <laughs> as a man, as a, as a young man. Yeah. Uh, I you wanna actually... have sex? I, I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wanna have sex? See you later, Joe. See you later, Joe. See you later, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have just a quote left, and I am done with my fun big fucking facts. I do want to say real quick that apparently NBC tried to make a Say Anything the TV oh, show that's right. without including Cameron Crowe, John Cusack, <laughs> or Ioni Sky. So Cameron Crowe publicly went after it. 
And even though NBC was like, we tried to contact him, and he's like, no, you fucking didn't. You could have gotten a hold of me. That's absolutely ridiculous. I will sue you. And um, eventually they just kind of backed down. It's definitely a movie I think that is like, perfect as a standalone please don't remake it I can't it. imagine that trying to make that a show they're gonna no. remake they're gonna, you know they're gonna remake well it. Cameron Crowe oh, will sure. have nothing to do with it yeah. he, he was like I it is like I thought about it for a bit of time and thought about where they would be but I think that the ending with the ding and having an open-ended oh, yeah. possibility yes. of what could be is such a quintessential thing to say about when you jump off of the platform of leaving your home for the first time. You know what they could do actually like a before sunset scenario. Sure, yeah. Where where they've where we see them next time we see them they're actually meeting up again. They've been broken up for like decades and now they're older and they've gone through like all this life stuff and they're maybe married off even and stuff and they're like meet up and have this like Fuck so fuck, hard. Yeah. Fuck dirty fucks. Up. Right. They fuck on the boombox. Um, or maybe a story centered around a sentient boombox that goes around as like a <laughs> Cupid character making oh people fall in love. Oh my god, I love that. I love that for us. I love that for us, and I love our journey. Uh, <laughs> all right, shall I do this quote and yeah. tell this one? Brooks, this uh, quote from James L. Brooks to close it out. <clears throat> I believe that the most important thing about this picture is that we have created a subtly different kind of young hero and heroine. What makes the hero so special is that he meets a spectacular girl so spectacular that he automatically is willing to spend his life celebrating hers. In reality, it's usually the reverse. Women have traditionally served men's gifts. Although this is something we don't directly address in the film, it is something we all spent a great deal of time discussing. From a woman's perspective, Lloyd is an ideal man, a dream man. Not many men have the talent to be so supportive, especially when they are 18 or 19 years old. He's perfect. I love Lloyd Dobler. <laughs> and, um, but also don't. But also maybe But not. also don't. But also do. <laughs> but, but also, also don't. don't. <laughs> <laughs> and it is. It's just like such a back and forth. And I love that scene of his female friends that were like, I mean, I would date Lloyd, wouldn't you? And yeah. they're all just like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah of course I would. <laughs> it's yeah. just so, that's the stuff for me that I'm like, well, that wasn't my fucking deal But also what I like that they did encapsulate as, as one of those friends of like, yeah, I had a lot, I mean, uh, our relationship holding number one, you know, like it goes to show of like, no, we've always been yeah. friends. I've always wanted the best for you. I think that it's awesome. I think you're such a good person. I don't want to fuck you, but I hope that other people yeah. get to fuck you. I've actually had, I will say I do connect to Lloyd in the sense that I have had a lot of very platonic relationships with women throughout my life. And I treasure those almost more than the ones with the guys. Cause again, I think it does. He even talks about it. He's like, I should probably be friends with the guys more. And he goes, and it's like a nightmare. It's a nightmare. <laughs> I, I've probably gotten a lot more out of my, you know, relationship, platonic relationships with, with, yeah. Uh, bitches, man. With bitches, bitches, bro. With dirty fucking bitches, bro. All right. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. This is our episode on Say Anything. My name is Holden. Check me out on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. We have fun Monday, Tuesday, Friday, and it's always a Nancy. Uh, also, Why? check out. I that's, don't know. That's my new tagline. It's always a Nancy. That's a new tagline. Uh, also, uh, patreon.com forward slash page seven uh, podcast. Um, and check us out there if you want to support us further in that way. And Natalie? Uh, you can uh, listen to Someplace Underneath where we have fun. <laughs> uh, talking about missing women. Amber. Nelson is on it with me, and you can uh, listen to that on the LPN wherever you listen to podcasts. Hell yeah. yeah. My 
name is Jackie Zabrowski. You can follow me on Instagram at Jack That Worm and come check us out Tuesdays and Thursday nights over on twitch.tv forward slash oh no, it's Jackie for sex and fashion. And remember, it's always a Nancy. It is always a Nancy. Let's get the hell out of here. In your eyes. Your eyes. Now I've got the words now. Your eyes. It'll never be me. It'll never be me. It'll never be me. No, no. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Hop, hop, hooray! Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.